Well, hey, good morning to you, Grace. It's great to see you this morning. I don't have a tie. <laughs> so what should I do? Would you turn in your Bibles to the book of Philippians? Philippians chapter 4, Philippians chapter 4. We finally made it to the last chapter of this great book. I'd like to thank Pastor John for uh, leading us in that new song, Because He Lives. Uh, that's an old school song. Did you know that? That's an old school song. Uh, it, it lies kind of in between um, the old hymns and our modern worship music. Um, when I was a kid, I grew up in the 80s, and my parents, though, in the 80s, still used records. Record pl- a record player, round black disc, little grooves on it, you know, needle goes up and down, and that's where the music comes from. I mean, it was in the era when cassette tapes were like a thing, you know, cassette tapes, that's what I grew up on, cassette tapes. But my parents still played records, and they loved this this like uh, Christian gospel kind of group called the Bill Gaither Trio. You ever heard the Bill Gaither Trio? Oh man, I can just I can still I can still hear Bill Gaither Trio ringing in the background. And one of one of the songs that they all my parents would always play is "Because He Lived." It's a great song. Now I, that's that was even before me, and they were just playing on records for me. Uh, but still, it's a great song. Took me back, and, uh, and I hope it does. Hey, songs from, from the 1800s, still good today. Songs from the 80s, still today. Modern music is still good today. It's good to worship God and however we do it. But let's now turn our attention to uh, Philippians and worship him by studying his word. Paul today brings us to a new topic. The topic for the last couple of weeks was perfection. Can a Christian become perfect? And the answer is yes, and they should try to. And ultimately, the perfection is going to come when Jesus Christ returns, glorifies our body, and that is when perfection is going to occur. But we're going to try for it. All, we're going to strive for that every single day, perfection. And now we move to a new topic. The new topic is peace, harmony. Harmony among Christians, uh, even harmony among Christians and non-Christians. And really, the, the main point today is everybody wants peace. Everybody does. Everybody wants it until it's up to them to maintain it. Everybody wants peace until they have to do the work to maintain the peace. That's what's kind of funny about these international peacekeeping missions. You know, you have two people groups or two nations who are warring with each other, and they're, you know, at worst, they're, they're at war. They're launching missiles at each other or at best they're just throwing rocks in local skirmishes. And neither one of these two nations want anything to do with peace. They want to fight it out to the bitter end. But the world leaders all around the other parts of the world thinks there needs to be peace in the Middle East. And so they send in people with guns trying to maintain peace that the two warring factions don't even want. And that's an interesting picture because that's exactly what's happening in this little church. That's the story. And the point today really is, is you must seek peace and you must desire peace for it to really take hold. You have to desire it, but that's the thing. Everybody wants peace until it's up to them to maintain it, to make it happen. Like even personal application for Grace Community Church. You think it'd be good for us, the members of Grace Community Church, to be at peace with one another? And if you say, yeah, I think that'd be a pretty good idea, I think we should be at peace with one another, then I have news for you, it's up to you. It's not, it, this is not something where we look around and we point fingers at other people. This isn't something where we look to, the, to, to this group of people or we look to the elders or we look to the pastor and they must maintain the peace. It's, it's me. It's, it's you. It's, it's we. It's it's all of us. And this issue of division in a church, Paul is very concerned about. We've already mentioned this already. He's already talked about it already. And we've already talked about uh, the fact that this is a concern that most pastors have. This is one of the top concerns that most pastors have in a church is the potential of disunity, of, of a lack of harmony among the people within their church. It's a big deal for Paul. It's a big deal for pastors today. And the Bible tells us kind of where that division often comes from. James, the brother of Jesus, this is what he says about how, where 
the lack of harmony comes from. And he says, and the tongue is a fire, a person's tongue, you know, their speech. The very world of iniquity, the tongue is set among our members as that which defiles the entire body and sets a fire the course and sets on fire the course of our life and is set on fire by hell. <laughs> and the point of that verse is one person gossiping can break up an entire church. One person's lie can divide a united church. One person's verbal backstabbing couched in the form of a prayer request in a small group can divide an entire church. And that's what's going on in this church. But it's not only this church. This can happen anywhere. This can happen among any group of Christians. And so let's read what's happening in this church. Let's read this passage, and then we'll see what, uh, what Paul is teaching them and then us. Philippians chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, my beloved brethren, whom I long to see, my joy and crown, in this way stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. I urge Iodia and I urge Syntyche to live in harmony in the Lord. Indeed, true companion, I ask you also to help these women who have shared my struggle in the cause of the gospel together with Clement also and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence, and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things." The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Well, that is our passage for the day. You can tell he's moved to a new topic. We're no longer talking about uh, perfection in Christ. We are now talking about a new topic, and that is peace. Peace among other Christians. And this church is experiencing a lack of peace. But let's go back to verse 1 and get a running start at this topic. It says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, whom I long to see. Why does Paul long to see the Philippian church? Because he's in jail. He's in her house arrest. He's been away for a long, long time. And the results of this trial could result in his death or it could result in his release, depending on how the trial goes. And he's, of course, hoping that he will be released and so that he could go and see them again. And why is that? Because he calls them my joy and my crown. He probably wouldn't call all the churches that he started his joy and his crown. Some of his churches were a thorn in his side, but this one was the crowning jewel. Not all the churches were like that. The Corinthian church, he wouldn't call the Corinthian church his, his crown, his joy. The Corinthian church still had a lot of work to do. They had a lot of growth to do. But this church this is his crowning jewel. This is the one that made all the other pain worth it. And if you've been around ministry for long enough, you've experienced that same thing, where you've poured yourself into someone and they just don't care. You've discipled and, and built, built into someone and cared a lot about someone, cared even more than they did. And after they sapped all of the energy that you had, they're gone and they just don't care. A lot of work with very little results. But then there are the few, the, the diamonds in the rough. When you build into them, they respond with appreciation. When you disciple them, they respond with great love. And that is what this church is. This church is the, the joy in the crown of the Apostle Paul, his crowning jewel. And he says at the end of this verse, in this way stand firm in the Lord. You can tell he has something on his mind, that he wants to say something to them. And we've already read the passage, so we already know what that is. And that is peace. Peace among Christians. Harmony among believers. And this is going to take work. You're going to have to do this one on purpose. You have to stand firm in this. It, it, peace just doesn't come on accident. Peace doesn't just come easy. Peace among Christians doesn't just come because you're Christians. Peace takes work. 
there's, there's, a, there's something where you have to stand firm and work at these things. And if there isn't peace, you don't start looking around at other people because they've done something wrong. This is something for me to maintain. This is something for me to do. But again, everybody wants peace until it's up to me to maintain it. And so Paul gives this situation here that's going on in the church that has a potential to really divide this church. It hasn't yet, thankfully. It's like a a little bomb sitting sitting underneath a chair. And one of the chairs that you're sitting in has a bomb underneath it. (laughs) You can look and check and see if it's yours. But, it, but at some point it will go off. That's what, this, that's what the skirmish is. And so he tells us what the skirmish is in verses 2 and 3. It says, I urge Eodia and I urge Syntyche to live in harmony in the Lord. Now that's not exactly the way that you say their, the, the Greek words here, but you don't care about the Greek words. I'm just trying to pick uh, words that slightly sound like a word, okay? Because neither of these names sound at all like a word when you hear them in Greek, right? So we're going to go with Iodia and we're going to go with Syntyche. These are two women who are, have a lack of harmony and they're not at peace. Now think with me for a minute. How in the world would Paul even know? How would Paul even know that these two women are launching missiles at each other? I mean, he's been gone for a long time. He's way up here in Rome. They're way down here in Philippi. It takes like over a month to get there, and you almost die on the trip, so no one wants to take that trip. And so how would Paul even know that there's a problem going on in this church at all between Iodia and Syntyche? We don't have all the details. We don't know everything that's going on here. But if I had to guess, I would think that it was Epaphroditus. Remember Epaphroditus? He's the, the representative of the church where they wanted to send a, a, a care package to Paul because he's in jail, he's in prison, and they wanted to send him financial benefits and a care package in general, and even spiritually encourage him, and so they picked like their, their best and brightest uh, guy to send. And so they took up a collection, they gave it all to Epaphroditus, and he took this long trip all the way from Philippi all the way up to Rome, almost died. But once he gets there and Paul sees him, it's a wonderful reunion. I mean, they've been friends even before, even before this meeting. They've known each other. And so when, after they, they embrace and they, you know, say hi, then no doubt Paul's going to start asking, okay, how's it going? How's it going at the church? Did the parking lot get fixed? How's the air conditioning? It's hot down there right now. Is the air conditioning working okay for you? Well, what about this family? And, and what's going on with, with those people? And, and what about that guy's camp out? How'd it go? How are things going at the church? You know? And so then Epaphroditus starts to talk about what is happening in the church and how things are going and talks about a, the family that's growing in Christ or this family who moved to this other place. Kind of just telling them about the day. But in the back of Epaphroditus, Daddy's mind. He also knows that, that there's this little skirmish going on with these two ladies, and so he shares that with Paul too. He knows it's like a little ticking time bomb in the church, and so he just mentions it that these two women, Iodia and Syntyche, are, are having a problem. And so as Paul pulls out some parchment and, and he wants to write a letter back to the church to send back with Epaphroditus, he mentions this whole issue in his letter. And so I think that's how this ended up here in the first place, but we don't know even what the skirmish is. We don't have a lot of detail. We just know that they were not living in harmony with one another. They weren't living at peace with one another, and it was affecting the church. I mean, how would Epaphroditus even know that, that there was a disagreement if it wasn't affecting the church? And so we can tell that, that whenever Christians begin to have disunity and they begin to launch missiles at each other, it affects more than just them. It affects the entire church. And that's kind of where it's, it's difficult in, in the size of our churches these days. And I mean, these churches are small. And we're talking like 10, 20, 30, 40. That's the size of these first century churches, especially as they start, first started. And so you can imagine 20 people sitting in like a half circle in, in a living room of a house. And, and if two women are launching missiles at each other, verbal missiles at each other in your church service, you're going to know, you know? It's going to mess with everything. But then churches have gotten larger. Our church is a little bit bigger than 20 people. And then there are some churches that have thousands and thousands of people at them. 
And the challenge there is, is that can lead people to the assumption that when Christians within the church are, in, in, uh, are not in harmony, it can lead us to assume that, that it's not affecting the church. It can seem like it's only affecting the two people and not the rest of the church, but that, is fur- that couldn't be further from the truth. Whenever Christians have, have found a place of disunity, a lack of harmony, no peace, it's going to affect the church. Now, granted, the, the larger the church, the, the, the more time it might take for it to affect the church, but it will affect the church eventually at some point in time. And so, verse 3, Paul recruits some people to address this situation. It says, Indeed, true companion, verse 3, I ask you also to help these women who have shared my struggle in the cause of the gospel. So these two women, Yodi and Satiki, they are believers in the church because they have shared in the, in, in the struggles of the gospel. They have been a part of the church. They've been a part of the, the, the persecution. They have, you know, Paul considers himself sharing the, the persecution of Christ, sharing the struggles of Christ. And then Paul says, and you church, you Philippian church, you're sharing my struggles. And so these women have been a part of the church for a while and have shared struggles. It says, indeed, true companion, I ask you also to help these women who have shared in my struggle in the cause of the gospel together with Clement. And so now he's... We don't know much about these guys. We don't know who the true companion is. There's lots of people who have guessed and assumed. Um, we don't know exactly who Clement is. Are, are they elders of the church? Maybe, probably. It's obvious that the elders haven't addressed it well enough um, because the situation is still going on. But we don't know exactly, exactly who they are, but we know who the next group of people is. It says, and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. He says, okay, also, not only does the true companion need to help these women find uh, unity, not only does Clement need to help find unity, but also the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Well, who is that? That's every other member of the church. Every other Christian in the church. And so it's not just the elders' thing to deal with. It's not just Syntyche and Iodia's thing to deal with now. It's now, it's, it's on everyone to deal with this thing. And what does he ask everyone to do? He asks everyone to help. To help these two ladies, to help Iodia, to help Syntyche resolve whatever lack of harmony there is, he wants them to to help. All of you are responsible for this. And apparently that wasn't happening. And I mean, I guess I can understand why. Because do you want to get involved in someone else's business? You know what I mean? <laughs> do you want to get involved in like someone else's family drama? Yeah, I mean, no one wants to do that. And so you walk into a, you know, you walk into a living room and there's, you know, a little half circle of, of chairs there and, and you, you walk in the room and these two ladies are, are fighting at it. What are you going to do? You're going to slowly walk out. <laughs> they didn't know I was there. Go get some donuts. Go get some coffee. Hopefully when you come back, there'll be a few other people there. The fire's out and you don't have to deal with it, right? I mean, that, that's just normal. That's, that, that's human. And they're probably thinking in the back of their mind, okay, yeah, these ladies probably should figure things out. And probably they're getting in their cars, driving home, and they're talking all about it with their spouses in their car. Man, these two ladies really need to get this thing figured out. They really need to get their act together. And Paul is writing this saying, no, 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 no. All of you need to get your act together. This isn't just on them now. This is on all of you. You all need to address this. But remember, everybody wants peace until it's up to them to maintain it, you know, until it's up, up to them to do the work. And so Paul says, I want all of you. I want the true companion. I want Clement. And I want all the other fellow workers. I want you to go on a peacekeeping mission. And you're going to go to a place where there are these two, they don't want to solve it. They're launching missiles at each other. And you're going to come in there and you're going to help bring harmony to a place where there's no harmony because it's beneficial for your church because your church is going to get hurt if you don't. So the next couple of verses are about how to do that. There are three ways, there's a three-step process in which Paul gives in the following verses 
and how to bring peace where there is none. Let's look at the first one, verse 4. In verse 4 it says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Now the word here where it says rejoice, that's you know, obviously an English translation. The word here is just joy. That's the Greek word, joy. Joy in the Lord always. Again, I say joy. That, that, if you're going to read that, like, you know, just direct Greek, joy in the Lord always. And we've talked about joy significantly around here, so I don't have to redo it all. But joy is not an emotion. Jo- joy is, is something that is constant in a Christian's heart. When a person puts their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, they can have joy in their heart, no matter what is happening on the outside. See, things can be difficult on the outside, and that doesn't make you happy, but you can still have joy because you know that Christ has saved you. You know that you're going to heaven. You know that everything that happens in your life for some way God is gonna work for your own sanctification and for your own good in some way. You don't know how it works, but you can have joy in Christ no matter what other people say to you, no matter what your job does to you, no matter if you get fired or if you get kicked off the team or if, uh, you, or if you lose your job or whatever it is, you can have joy even though you're not happy. Joy and happy are not the same thing. Happiness is an emotion, and it's built on what's happening around us. Joy is intrinsic. It's inside. It's internal. And we don't know all the difficulties that these Philippians are going through. Some of them are going through sheer tragedy. He's already mentioned about how they've shared in the struggles of the gospel. This church is being persecuted. They, they, they are losing their jobs. Their bosses don't want to have anything to do with Christians. Their extended families don't want to have anything to do with Christians. The, the kids are getting kicked out of the, off their baseball team or softball team or their, their, uh, their hobby that they like to do. Kids are getting kicked out of school. The kids love it, but the parents hate it. And it's not just things like that. It's, it it it's even gets worse. Persecution in these days got to the point of physical harm. These people could have ended up in, in Kaiser because of uh, being beat up or even killed for their faith. And so you have some, some Christians that are dealing with that, or, or who knows, one of them might have won the Philippian Powerball. And they, they won, you know, what, what his latest Powerball is like, you know, $1.3 trillion or something like that, you know? And they won the trillion uh, Powerball, and now they're a $1.3 trillionaire. It doesn't matter whether, whether you lost your spouse or you won the Powerball, you can still have joy. If you lost your spouse, you're not going to be happy. If you won the Powerball, you are going to be happy, but it doesn't matter. You can have intrinsic joy because Christ has saved you. Your soul is going to heaven. He, no matter what is happening in your life, it is for God's sanctification, his, his growth in, in you. And so you can have joy internally, even though things are really difficult on the outside. It's not an emotion. That, those, are thing, those things are it's hard to understand. It's like, a, it's like a submarine that's a thousand foot underwater, a thousand feet under the surface of the, of the ocean. And it's just It's just stable. Uh, up on top in the Atlantic Ocean, I mean, it could be gale force winds, it could be uh, 60-foot swells, and a fishing boat is just trying to survive. Up and down the swells, up and down the swells. They're not happy at all. They, 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 next time down, uh, someone has, you know, you get a little bit of seasick, you know what I mean? And then up, someone else gets seasick, and it's just like that. No, no happiness there. But that submarine far underneath doesn't allow any of those emotions, any of that stuff to affect you. There is an intrinsic joy. And so that's kind of a picture of joy. And that's why James could say, consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. Why could you have joy when you encounter trials? Because it's not the, it's not the external things that affect you. You have, you have a joy in Christ no matter what's happening out there. Trials or not, powerball or not, you can have joy. And so Paul tells these Christians, okay, so you need to rejoice always, <laughs> rejoice in the Lord, have joy in the Lord, even if you're having a problem with somebody else in your church. Even if you have to be the one to enter into someone else's drama and be a part of helping unify those two people, and it's not easy, and it's not fun, and it, it, you might see it as a waste of your time, you have joy. All of those things, you still have joy. And he says it twice. 
Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice just as a way of saying, hey, this one's pretty important. <laughs> this, is, this is an important one. So first, you start with internal joy. Step one. You want to bring peace to a situation? First, find your joy in Christ. You don't find your joy in your spouse. You don't find your joy in someone else giving you affirmation. It always feels good. It makes you feel, feel, feel good when someone gives you affirmation, but that's not where your joy comes from. Your joy doesn't come from your pay raise at work. Your joy comes from Christ. It comes from Jesus Christ. Save you, sanctifies you. You're ultimately going to be perfect, perfected in, in eternity in Christ. That's where your joy comes from. Then second, the next verse, verse five. Let your gentle spirit be made known to all men. The Lord is near. And so now we move from an internal thing to an external thing. So the first thing is find your own joy in Christ. If you're having difficulties, if there, there is no peace, find your own joy in Christ. Secondly, now be gentle in the situation. This is an external thing. Joy is internal, but gentleness is external, and sometimes gentleness, we see it like, it's like a sissy word for guys. You know, gentleness is like a sissy, but it's not a sissy thing. It just means long-suffering. It, it, it means to, to have stamina in kindness, gentle, in a situation. And that is a, a trademark, a hallmark of Christians, because they have this internal joy, even if someone is launching insults at them, uh, launching missiles at them, uh, backstabbing them, uh, spreading rumors about them, they respond with gentleness, with kindness. Now, Christians hurt like every other person. Christians are not like immune. They don't have like a, like a, a, a force field that prevents, you know, sticks and stones break my bro- may break my bones, but names never hurt me. Oh yeah, names hurt people. And so Christians are still hurt. Christians get hurt by, um, by other people doing things to them or saying things to them that, that in some way of, offend or, or hurt them emotionally. Christians still hurt. And their, their tears are just as wet as anybody else's. But what this internal joy does is it prevents them from getting vindictive, you know? from retaliating, launching the missile back. Yeah, I mean, you got the missile incoming. But what this joy inside does, it turns into an external response of gentleness where you don't launch one back, you just absorb it. Where, where there isn't a resentfulness and a bitterness that begins to build up. Because those are, those are emotions. Those are because of what's happening on the outside, I begin to build bitterness. Because of what's happening on the outside, I'm resentful towards that person. Because of what's happening on the outside, I now begin to feel this way, and that's what builds the, the, the rocket launchers to launch back the other way. But when we have joy on the inside, it's not about what's happening on the outside. And so that's why a Christian can act gentle when nobody in their right mind would. This is the uniqueness of Christianity. This is the the aroma that that brings people to Christ, or one of them at least. Maybe some of you are Christians because you saw the way that a Christian was insulted and you saw their life, the way they responded over time at work or maybe it was a family member somebody that, that you knew in your, in your hobby and maybe someone would be always criticizing them, but they were so generous and gracious back and taking the person out to lunch that was, was, be, was cr- criticizing them behind their back. Didn't matter to them one bit. This is a hallmark of Christianity. How could a person be gentle to someone who insults them? Because of the internal joy. That's, that's how they could do that. And so Paul says, first, have your internal joy from Christ not, not based on any person, anything, any situation. Now you can be gentle to, to someone else who's insulting to you. And these things will begin to bring peace to a situation. And, and it will bring peace to Syntyche and, and Yodia. It'll bring peace to, to this Philippian church. And it could bring peace to a relationship that you have or... Uh, a warring faction at Grace Community Church. These two things can bring peace. But you know that just because you have internal joy and you're being gentle 
to the other person doesn't necessarily mean it ends the thing, right? That other person can still be stirring the pot, stirring the pot. They just, they just let their, their pot stirs. That's what they like to do. They stir the pot and they want to launch the, they're going to launch the missiles no matter, no matter who's receiving them. And so now what do you do? You, you changed yourself. You, you, uh, you now changed the way that you interacted with them. And now what do you do now? Well, that's the next step. Look at verse six. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So what do you do once you have, you have your, your joy comes from Christ, you're now being gentle with this other person, even though they aren't gentle with you, now what do you do? You pray. You pray. So let's like apply this to Cintiki. Let's us, how about we be Cintiki? I like that name better. So let's be, let us be Cintiki. And let's say, we say, yeah, I want peace, but, but it's Iodia. She, she doesn't want, she doesn't, she's the one that doesn't want the peace. It, it's, all, it's her, I want it, but she doesn't. And Paul says, okay, fine. First you find your internal joy. It's in Christ. It's not in her. It's not what other people say about you. It's, it's in Christ. So you can have joy even though things are difficult. Even, even it's not, not happy, you can still have joy. And then Sintiki says, oh, okay, okay, I, my, my joy is in Christ. Now you can begin to treat Yodia gently. Okay, okay, I, 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 I can do that. But that hasn't solved the problem yet. She's still the problem. Yodia's still the problem. And so Paul says, okay, here's the last thing that you do. You pray about it. You pray until it gets fixed. <laughs> She's like, what? That's it? I'm doing all this work, I'm changing my joy, I'm changing my gentleness, and she doesn't have to do anything. If she doesn't respond, then I'm gonna stop, right? That's probably what we would do if we were Sintiki. If, if Yodia doesn't respond, if Yodia doesn't treat me with gentleness, then I'm gonna stop being gentle. See, everybody wants peace until it's up to them to maintain it. Prayer, what's that gonna do? How is that going to work? Well, see, here's, here's the thing that Sintiki doesn't know. Sintiki can never change Iodia. She, she can never change her. Iodia is Iodia. Sintiki is Sintiki. And I know that we want to change Iodia, but we can't. But God can. I mean, she's a believer. She, she, she's one of the women who shared in the struggle of the cause of the gospel. And so she could do that. And so Paul says, you just pray. Pray until it's fixed. He says in uh, Thessalonians, pray without ceasing. All the time until it's done. Okay, so, so we're Sintiki, and there is no peace. So here's what we do. First, you find your own internal joy. In Christ, not, not the external, it's not the external things that affect us. We can have joy, it might not be happy, it might be difficult, yeah, but we have joy in Christ. Once you've found your internal joy and now you're gentle with, with Eodia, now you're gentle with her, you, even though she might hurl insults at you or she might backstab you or she might s steal your work or steal your sale at work or, or, or she might uh, ro rob you of joy in your ministry or she might be critical of you in your ministry, you respond with nothing but grace and you respond with nothing but gentleness. Take her out to lunch after a Sunday where she does that to you in your ministry. And once you respond to her gentleness, be gently because of your internal, he, here's the last thing you do. You pray until the issue is solved. Because you can't, cha you can't change her, Sintiki. I know you'd like to, but you can't change her. And so the, the goal here is peace among Christians. That's the goal. Peace, harmony among believers. And so... The first three verses are about the specific situation that's going on in, in this church. Although I, you could probably identify with that, maybe even going on in your own personal life. And then the, the next few verses, verses four to seven, are all about how to bring the peace. Internal joy, external gentleness, 
and then you pray. You know what's interesting about that? It says, regarding the prayer, it says, in, in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Now, why would you pray with thanksgiving in a situation like this? Like, you want me to be thankful that Eodi is doing that to me? No, 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 no. It's not being thankful that insults are being hurled at you. The idea is, is that you would remember other times that God has helped you in a certain situation. And you're thankful for God's work in your life in the past. And so you can know, you can remember that God can and has the ability, has the power to address this situation too. Because sometimes we forget that God has the power and the ability to address the situation that, that we take before him. We forget that. And so what we end up doing is we end up telling God all about the situation and then we tell him how to fix it. And then when he doesn't fix it that way, we start to implement our own fix because God didn't do it our way. And so when we thank God for things that he has helped in the past, it reminds us that he can fix it this one too. That's the point of thanksgiving. And that's what, what will change your mind about difficulties just like this. Hey God, thank you for healing my relationship with my, with my mom or with my dad. Um, th- that is wonderful and I'm thankful for that relationship and now I've got this other one in front of me. Would you please help work on this one too? It helps you know that God is able to work this out. And that's the result. Look at verse seven. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds. It, notice, if Syntyche is praying this prayer, it's gonna guard Syntyche's heart. Doesn't necessarily mean that it's gonna solve Iodia's problem. But when a Christian has this internal joy and they're treating someone else with gentleness, but that problem isn't solved, you continue to pray until it's fixed and, and the person praying, now they have complete peace. Peace that comes from God. Peace that does not come from Iodia. Peace that doesn't come from the elders. Peace that doesn't come from other people you know, getting in the situation. It comes from the Lord. And so now you had two people who are, are at war with each other. You had Syntyche and Iodia, but now Syntyche She's at peace. And so Iodia, who, do, who does she launch missiles at now? <laughs> There's no one to launch missiles at anymore because Iodia's at peace. There is no battle anymore. Now, Iodia might think there's a battle, but there isn't one. I mean, a, a church can live with one person just with a bad attitude. I mean, that's what this would have been. If if Syntyche would pray that prayer and stand down and find some peace, Iodia would just be, she just needs some help. Let's pray for Iodia. <laughs> she just needs some help. But, it, but when someone else rises and turns and gets the missile launchers ready, that's where there's a lack of peace. But as soon as those missile launchers are put away in the peace of Christ, there is no problem anymore. And so as Syntyche is praying this prayer, this peace that surpasses all comprehension is going to guard her heart and it's going to guard her mind, furthering the intrinsic joy that she already has. And so that is where joy comes from, where peace comes from. Now, now that you have the peace in it, let, let's just say that these two ladies, they both did that. They both engaged, they both had intrinsic joy, they both treated each other with gentleness, they both prayed, and when, when two Christians are doing that, it's not gonna be long before there is unity. I mean, they, they both have the same spirit, the God's Holy Spirit living inside of them, their Holy Spirit bears witness with the human spirit, and, and that just gets worked out. So let's say that that did happen. Now, how do you maintain this peace? How do you keep this from coming back again? Let's look at verse eight. Verse eight, it says, finally, brethren, whatever is true, Whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence, if anything is worthy of praise, dwell on these things. That word dwell is the word logic. That's the word. Logic. Think. Some of your translations might even say think on these things. That's how I memorized it. Think on these things. And that's, that's a fine translation. Dwell on it. Logic. Logically think about it. 
So how do you maintain this unity, this peace, this harmony once you've built it with other believers? You logically, logic, you lose your logic, not, not your emotions, but use your logic to look at all your interactions with other people in the best light possible. That's, that's what it says here. When another person does something that you wouldn't do, like let's say it's in ministry, they're doing something that you wouldn't do in ministry. Your assumption is, oh, they want the best for our church. They're looking out for the best. The way that they are going about it is different than the way that I would go about it, but I'm gonna assume the best about that. I'm gonna assume that they want the best for our church. When a person says something to you that, that maybe you get offended by, you could assume the best, that they didn't meant to discourage you, they, 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 didn't, they didn't mean to discourage you. They, they meant to encourage you. But somehow something got jumbled and you just assumed the best. I assume that was, that was a blessing even though it felt like a curse. <laughs> you assume the best. Because there's another option. You could assume the worst. You could look for whatever is not true, whatever's false. You could look for the dishonorable thing. You could look for the wrong thing. You could look for the impure thing. You could look for the unlovely things. You could look at the things that are not excellent. You could look at the thing, you could look for the things that aren't worthy of praise. And if you start looking for those things, you're going to find them. And probably that's what happened with Iodia and Syntyche. That they just started to notice some things about each other that they just didn't like very much. And when you start to look for things that you don't like very much, guess what? You're going to find them. Because we're all humans. We're all people. There are, there are more flaws in this room than there are excellent things in this room. And so if, if you're looking for all the negative things, you're certainly going to find them. And so, if there is disunity, if there's a lack of harmony between two Christians or two groups of Christians, if there's a lack of peace, it means that someone in this scenario is not thinking. They're acting on emotion. They, they, they aren't logically thinking about the positive aspects of what's going on. They've somehow emotionalized it and have turned it negative. Now, I can guarantee you, then Satiki would say, oh, it's Iodia, she does that. I, I, I'm good. It's, it's Iodia. And Iodia is going to say, oh, no, no, it's Satiki. Satiki, she's the one that definitely sees things negatively. But I, I want peace, but if Satiki just can't, you know, she can't handle it. Everybody wants peace until it's on them to maintain it. That's the, that's the challenge in all of this. It takes work on, on the offendee's part to do something about it. It, take, it takes work on the one who's being assaulted. Like, how come I have to do work? I thought you wanted peace. Then you do the work. So Paul knows that all this is not easy. He knows that this is very hard to do. If you have a hard time viewing things in, posit in a positive light, you are not alone. It, it, it is common for humanity to, to have a critical eye. I certainly can understand that. I have that a little bit of, in me too. And so Paul says, if you find this hard to do with other people, see, see people from the positive point of view, then he says in verse 9, he says, the things that you have learned and received and heard and seen in me practice these things. Paul says, all right, so I know it's hard. You might, you, you might have a challenge in this, and so if so, just wear a WWPD bracelet. <laughs> what would Paul do bracelet? You know, Jeff talked about at our uh, men's uh, camp out, a guy's camp out, uh, he's, um, he's talking about the biblical aspects of mentoring. And so whether you're in junior high or whether you are a senior and adult, there, there's an aspect there of 
passing on what you know to somebody else. And that's exactly what Paul is talking about here. The things that you have learned from me, the things that you have received from me, like in letters or whatever, or the things that you've heard in me, like um, uh, verbal things that I've said, or the things that you've seen in me. My actions practice these things. So Paul's, Paul says, okay, I know it's gonna be hard for, for, for you to do this with another person, so just follow me. I, uh, the people oppressing Paul were unbelievable. Uh, they, 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 he was in jail, didn't do anything wrong, just preaching the gospel. He was mocked, insulted publicly. He was beaten uh, times without number. And yet, he was at peace with all of them. Like, that's, a, that's kind of a crazy thought. It, we, we know that the, the, the jailers, the, the, the ones that are handcuffed to him in, un, under house arrest, we know that they had such positive views that the gospel starts spreading through the, the entire Roman guard, through the entire palace, the gospel, because of their, they liked Paul so much. They're going to kill the dude, and yet they liked him. Why is that? Because he had an internal joy, because he treated them with gentleness, and he just prayed and let God figure out the rest. And, and all these people were, were, were trying to kill him and yet loved him at the same time. So Paul says, you do it like me. Paul describes it in maybe a more specific way in Romans like this. He says, if possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God, for, for it is written, revenge is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. So he says, if it's possible, or as far as it's possible for you, you be at peace. So you have that internal joy, you treat them gently, and you begin to pray. As you pray for the situation, God's peace that is, is supernatural, that is uh, beyond comprehension, you'll have that peace. And so you'll be at peace with everyone. Now that doesn't make them at peace with you, right? It's possible that Sintiki continues to pray this prayer and she's at complete peace. She's at peace with everyone, including Iodia. And yet Iodia, she's still a pot stirrer. She is still looking for someone to go at. But as long as, as far as it depends on Sintiki, she's at peace. And here's, how, here's one way that you would know. The people on the outside of the situation could also say, yes, you are treating her with gentleness. I am praying along with you. Um, I can see your peace in this. But if other people, if you ask the honesty of someone else and, and they would say, oh no, you're still a, a complete idiot towards Eodia. That, that means you're not being gentle. You haven't found that place of peace yet. But if you can, as far as it depends on you, you be at peace. Someone else might still be trying to stir up something, but there's nothing to stir up if everyone else they meet is at peace. <laughs> they just get frustrated because they can't find anywhere else to stir things up at. Paul says, do it like me. And so if you find, your place in a, find yourself in a place where there is no peace, here's what you do. First, you find your own internal joy in Christ. The Bible says that Christ also died for sins, once for all, the just for the unjust, in order that he might bring us to God. Christ is the savior of the world. He died on the cross for your sins. And so the first place of, the first place of peace is putting your faith and trust in Jesus, having that internal joy, knowing that Christ has removed your sin, believing that he's died on the cross, that he's risen from the grave. That's where you first find your peace. And once you have this internal joy, that Christ has died for you, you know you're going to heaven. Well then, now God's Holy Spirit lives inside of you and you can start to treat other people gently even when they're not gentle with you, even when they're harsh with you. And I know they don't deserve it. What they deserve is a harsh word back. What they deserve is a mean text back. That's what they deserve. deserve. But because Christ is living inside of you, because you have this joy, you won't do that. You'll be this aroma of Christianity that is unique only to Christianity. And then that might not solve the situation, and so you just pray every day until there is some sort of unity that comes between the two of you. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your heart and your mind in this. You'll be at peace. Your perspective is, I'm at peace. I don't, I don't know what they're doing. 
You know, there, there's some places in our world today where they just want to be at peace. They just want to live alone, and yet people launch missiles across the, across the border. I, I just want to be at peace. The missile comes in. You deal with it with the Lord. You pray for, the, for that other person, and you're at peace. And the only way that you can do that is because of Christ is living inside of you. Now, if you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus, I don't want you to do this list of things. I want you to start at the very beginning. You might not be at peace with God. You might still have sin that has not been forgiven. And so I want to give you the opportunity to allow Christ's death to wash away your sin. It's just changing your mind about Jesus. That's, the Bible says repent and believe. It's changing your mind about who Jesus is. He's God, died on the cross for your sin, rose from the grave, can remove sin. And when you put your faith in Jesus, when you believe that Jesus is the one that died on the cross for your sin, your sin is removed. The thing that separates you from God. You'll know how, you'll, you're now unified, close to your, your adopted child of God. And so that's where it starts. I'm going to give you the opportunity to put your faith in Jesus today. So would you be willing to all bow your heads and close your eyes today? It just creates a little separation between you and the person next to you for just a minute. It allows the person next to you to consider eternal things. Um, usually you don't have a chance to consider eternal things, and so this is your chance. Do you know that you're going to heaven when you die? Do you have eternal joy? You don't have to tell me. You, you know. And if you'd like to have eternal joy, if you'd like to know that you're going to heaven, all you do is you believe upon Jesus Christ. You put your faith, your trust, your belief in him. And you do that just through prayer. You talk to him about it. You don't need to talk to me. You don't need to raise your hand. He knows what's going on in your mind. He knows what's going on in, in your heart. So you just talk to him. It's called prayer. Maybe you're not sure what to say. You could just agree with me with these words. Um, and, and, and if you believe them too, the Lord knows. You could say, God, I know I've sinned. I know I've done things I shouldn't have done. And I realize that se- that separates me from you. And I realize that I can't do enough good to fix the problem. I realize that I need a savior, someone to save me from my sin, to remove my sin. And I believe that Jesus is that savior. I believe that Jesus is God. I believe that he lived a perfect life and I believe that he died on the cross, not for his sin. I believe that he died on the cross for mine. I believe that he rose from the grave on the third day. I believe with that showing of power that he can remove my sin. And I put my faith and my trust in this Jesus. I put my eternity in the hands of this Jesus. With your head still bowed and your eyes still closed, the Holy Spirit then comes and lives inside of you. And most of you have already prayed that prayer and the Holy Spirit is living inside of you. Now the Holy Spirit can help you be gentle. The Holy Spirit can help a situation where you are struggling. And so every single day you pray until it's resolved. Pray blessings upon that person. Pray for God to help you in your own perspective with that person. Well, God, I I thank you for what your word teaches us. I thank you for the clarity that it offers. I thank you for this simple nature that that it does to help us in our our lives as Christians. And I pray that that our church would would be like the Philippian church, that we would be uh, a jewel. Um, We don't want to be the hard one. We want to be one that responds to your leading in our lives. And I pray that you'd help us to maintain the, the peace, maintain harmony as we apply your word, even at grace. We ask for your help in this, in Jesus' name, amen.